Hey guys, welcome back to the Elite Coaching Podcast. This is episode 18. We are joined by uh, Mary Jo from MJ Nutrition. How are you? I'm really good, really good. Thank you so much for having me on today. Delighted no. to be here. Awesome. I'm, I'm really excited for, for today's episode and um, a really good uh, look into um, PCOS as you know, MJ is a, a specialist in this area, we, we will call it. So will you just give us a little bit of an introduction into yourself, what your business is, your ideal client base that you'll deal with, etc.? Yeah, sure. So MJ Nutrition, as you said, I, I'm a nutritionist. I have um, seven years of um science and nutrition uh, education behind me so a degree in human nutrition from UCD then I did a master's in personalized nutrition which I guess really allowed me to um work on a more individual level really recognize that each one of us is completely different and our makeup's completely different so like it's not a one-size-fits-all approach um so I guess I've been doing that I've been working in my own business for like about a year and a half uh two years and really in the last year though I've really kind of niched down into female health and even niche down in that realm to PCOS I guess I've got my own personal reasons that I have PCOS myself so I spent a huge amount of time like researching that um which is why I kind of you kind of move naturally into that kind of thing and then I felt I was attracting a lot of those type of clients um so yeah I work like as I say with those PCOS uh, clients who've got uh, any sort of hormonal issues and a bit of thyroid issues as well and then fat loss can come into that too um again a lot of that will be seen with the likes of PCOS um and yeah, that's pretty much everything about my, what I'm doing, really. I do that like in one-to-one coaching. And then um, as we were chatting there, going into the group kind of coaching that, um, way now, see how that goes, basically. Um, but yeah, that's how I'm working and who I work with at the moment and really enjoying it. So, yeah. And you, you have your own podcast as well, right? Yeah, the female health podcast. So it's a, um, yeah, it's very much, it's a more, it wouldn't be like uh, your podcast, which is more focused for coaches. It's very much for the, the Mary down the road kind of who really wants to awesome, uh, understand their, their their hormones to get to understand that. So it covers everything really. I have a, a wide variety of guests on it from um, my own clients who have been on it and plus like um, experts and then also just uh, people telling their own stories and stuff as well so and then i do a good few solo episodes as well so it covers an array of things are under the female health umbrella (laughs) i think it's fantastic that you have the podcast and you have like your group coaching system as well and it's just spreading the awareness about this topic because as I, i said to you off air the the reason behind this conversation today was because i felt the, the lack of information or a lack of accessible information for people like myself, a, a health and fitness professional that just wants to learn a little bit more because we had, you know, as, as I spoke to you off, off air, a couple of um, clients land on, on my coaching desk where there was just some answers that I felt were quite difficult to, or sorry, some questions that I felt quite difficult to, to get the answer to. And just, I suppose, having a, a good understanding from, you know, coaching clients around just general health, coaching clients around fat loss. I think as coaches, we should all have that, even baseline understanding. And like we spoke about, my first protocol of action is always to refer out. So it's always good to now have MJ on our side that we're able to just refer things to move forward with. Um, Okay, so why don't we start off by giving us an insight or giving us an introduction to what what is PCOS? Yeah, so PCOS, people straight away jump to, it's a reproductive 
disorder or reproductive issue. However, it's more metabolic endocrine dysfunction and, there's, it, and it starts to affect then the, the reproductive um, organs as a byproduct, surely. Um, and that's, but it's more, as I say, a metabolic issue. So um, firstly, to be diagnosed with PCOS, that's um, you need to meet three, uh, two out of three of the following criteria. You either need to have irregular cycles and or an, anovulatory cycles. So I'll go into that in a second. You need to have um, high androgen levels, either on a blood test or uh, clinical symptoms. So they would look like excess hair growth on the body and on the face, uh, acne and uh, loss of hair on the scalp and the kind of male androgen, male pattern area. So like the forehead and things like that. And then um, cysts on the ovaries. And that's the last thing. You don't actually need to really do an ultrasound if you've got the first two. That's pretty, that's, you've got a diagnosis. So um, again, a lot of people presume that they have polycystic ovary syndrome because of having cysts on the ovaries. However, cysts on the ovaries are not um, uh, enough. You need to get the other things because um, there's other reasons you may have cysts on the ovaries, basically. Uh, and also just to side note of that, I said the first thing I said, either irregular cycles um, or anovulatory cycles. And that's the key. That's the really important part to note. You can have a period and not be ovulating. Uh, and that's called an anovulatory bleed. Uh, and that can happen a few times in a, in a, a woman's cycle. But if it doesn't happen quite often, that's something. So really understanding if you're actually ovulating, it's where you're not ovulating is the key. And there's a reason why you're not ovulating. And that's essentially what's PCOS is. And it, then there's metabolic issues with that. You're more at risk for cardiovascular disease when you have PCOS type two diabetes, higher blood pressure. Um, it does impact your fertility because you've got less uh, ovulatory cycles. You've got high androgen levels, which is giving you a lot of other symptoms and um, fatigue. Weight gain is a big um, symptom um, again for some not for everyone and again that's quite a common thing they'll go to their GP oh it doesn't look like you have it you don't look like someone who's got PCOS PCOS doesn't have a look you can be slim you can be big or you can be any size it doesn't have an actual look there is that that diagnostic criteria has to be fulfilled in order to tell you if you've got PCOS or not so that's pretty essentially what it is in a nutshell really I'd like it's really important if you think someone has it make sure they get those bloods uh, done like the ones that show your androgen levels another important one to look at is your LH to FSH ratio so that's a key one that's a really key one because that will tell you most likely because um the LH to FSH ratio will be high. You'll have more LH to FSH. It should be one is to one, really. But like a lot of time, I would see three to one, four to one. That your LH is constantly at an up level, a really high level. And that is the hormone that signals to your ovaries to ovulate and release an egg. That's constantly high. It doesn't, it doesn't have that surge just before ovulation. Hence, then you don't ovulate. So um, those blood tests are quite important to get done. Just um, when, when, when you're looking at the irregular cycles would, would you have a, a rough like time stamp that, that they might come in or is it varied for every individual like is it a 60 day cycle 90 day cycle or is it just very very client dependent it really is client dependent like i can even say from my own experience i would have went maybe two cycles in a year like that's what it went right. to uh, and i could see that with clients then you'd have some would be 50 days 60 days um, and then like 
kind of when you get under that 35 day you're doing very well like with PCOS that's quite good and then between like ideally getting under 32 days that's yeah. kind of the, the real goal and then 28 to 32 days is kind of a really you'd be doing very well to get that if you've got PCOS and you were say at that 90 day mark for example like so you want to be having more than eight cycles in a year that's kind of the, the goal really um eight periods in a year and that again, someone might think that's that doesn't sound normal, but again, with PCOS, it is it's more difficult to, to get it. There's a lot more and um, things that can put your cycle off, basically. You know, and I can I can say that on a personal level and um, from working with lots of women who have it. Would you say that's always one of the initial marker points people might notice? And in, in, in the kind of like a step-by-step process of actually going to get the diagnosis done, it's that irregularity of the cycle or would there be other marker points that they might notice first? Um, I think irregular cycle is, is one thing that would get people to, you know, maybe, okay, this isn't actually normal. They might start yeah. to realize that. Like, and, you know, a lot of people like might actually be like, oh, don't want a period, but for it is, yeah. like, it's something we need. It's, it's a marker of our health. They say it's the fifth vital sign. It tells us a lot about uh, our, a woman's health. So yeah, that would be one thing. I suppose weight gain or difficulty losing weight is another one that would get a woman to be like, okay, you know, they, we care about what they look like. So this is a thing they might be trying dieting a lot and still struggling to lose weight. That would be another thing that might get them to check things out. Uh, and then obviously if they have excess hair growth and acne, like the symptoms can be quite um, strong in some women and others might have them as severe. You know, there's definitely degrees of it you know what I mean there's definitely a different degrees and levels of severity and um, I've, I've seen that and you do not have to have all of the symptoms either in order to have it and um, you know and if you're having you, you may not actually have say signs like a clinical signs of high androgens on your body but it may show up in a blood test yeah. but you may be fortunate enough not to have actually a lot of hair growth or acne so uh, it re- it's so it's very individual as well it really is okay um will you, will you touch on the the hormones during polycystic ovary so i know that elevated testosterone levels is, is one of the big things we just touch a little bit on that as as just to give us a bit of an insight into kind of why that's happening how that's happening what what response that's happening that's happening on the body yeah so the high levels of testosterone start to come your you're not ovulating, so you produce more androgens as a result of that, but that's occurring because of higher levels of insulin. So uh, it's insulin resistance is a big um, signature sign of, of PCOS. And, and again, it doesn't mean that you uh, will be overweight if you have this. There is definitely different degrees of insulin resistance. That's something I've noticed, but I have noticed from treating insulin resistance as if you have it on a high or low level will manage the symptoms all symptoms of PCOS essentially so the issues is that the cells in the body um perhaps due to genetic reasons it it definitely has a genetic predisposition this and then diet and lifestyle obviously flip that switch on but um for whatever reason, the cells in a, in a woman who has PCOS are be less sensitive to uh, insulin, less responsive to that. So you've got higher levels of insulin, higher uh, blood sugar levels floating around the bloodstream. This high levels of insulin then starts to impede your ability to ovulate. As a result of that, we produce more uh, androgens like testosterone, and also we form more estrogen, which forms into other potent forms like DHT, which is a type of testosterone that really gives rise to the dark hair growth. 
growth in, in, um, in women. So here's it is. Um, so yeah, that's kind of essentially what's happening. It's the higher levels of insulin impeding your ability to ovulate. So you start to then produce more and more androgens as a result of that. Higher um, insulin levels also raise your LH level. So LH is again, that surge is not being raised, you're not ovulating. So that's why. So uh, that's kind of how the ovaries tie into the whole metabolic issue. It's that high insulin level. Um, so in any treatment strategy, it has to be about supporting insulin sensitivity. And there's obviously there's different ways to do that. And it is such a diet and lifestyle condition. There are so many ways that we can work on this, but it is, it's not say pigeonholing someone into because they're say lean that they necessarily don't treat it that way because um, it still needs to be treated. And again, insulin resistance, as you know, probably increases inflammation too. So you do want to look at lowering inflammation as well. Um, And that will really help with both any type of PCOS. And when when we're looking at the the insulin, insulin resistance, what would be your first action to, to pull in to try to improve that resistance to to sensitive try to make the the, the clients more insulin sensitive yeah so there's a, a few kind of pr- protocols i look at but for first two things would be in terms of diet would be uh, regulating blood sugar so really really key key uh, blood sugar regulation so we do get them to track their their blood sugar attractor fasting blood glucose I don't really, I don't go that specific with them. It definitely is something that can be done. Um, but again, the what you really need to be tracking and it's not really done is testing more your insulin, your fasting insulin. Okay. And this isn't something that is really done in Ireland, but that's how you'll actually identify your um if you if you're more on the insulin resistance side of things because again if you're testing your fasting glucose it, it may actually not show up and i've seen this a lot may not show outside of range but it can take a few years for it to get to that stage but you may be on the the path That's to the insulin resistance so um no i don't go that specific but it's definitely something that can be done and i, I do look into this as a way of tracking it and kind of trying to find i guess a carb tolerance as well so that's a really good way of doing it so if, if you really wanted to get back like specific with with your clients but uh, again i would get my clients to test how they feel after carbohydrates right. you know are they really tired and drained fatigued after eating it and um, you know is there energy depleted brain fog and difficulties with digestion your digestion is a big one if you've got struggles with digestion shows you're probably not tolerating in the digestion your carbohydrates very well and so that's one way of testing it but blood sugar regulation so protein carbohydrate balanced meal up the protein um, and have some carbohydrates switching to more um um, non-refined carbohydrates more fiber carbohydrates and easier to digest ones too and um, so like your the ones that like less maybe grain ones and more um say starchy vegetables but just not in copious amounts or high amounts um, and so it's not about fear and carbs at all and a lot of people yeah. can cut the carbs entirely or go really low carb uh, it's just about having that balance is is really really important and um, and like you know working carbs maybe in around your your if you're training you know so and maybe eating a bit more like that so you don't have to have a lot of carbohydrates and not eating big big meals maybe more smaller but more regularly so that kind of signaling that that 
basically your blood sugar levels are stable throughout the day and they're not dropping because once they drop cravings kick in a lot faster with PCOS too and you're more likely then to eat a, a high carb meal uh, which is just having this roller coaster effect on your blood sugars um, so that would be the number one thing I'd start off with and it's really key I educate on blood sugar regulation how to do this um, and what kind of foods to have of course including fats in there is important as well yeah, uh, would you get would you so a client initially comes into you straight away your first protocol would almost be right let me see your food diary like let me assess exactly what you're eating and do you just make like the changes then based off what they were what they were considering exactly. I don't know. it's not a big overhaul like you know again it's about just making small adjustments so like you probably see this yourself people think they're being really healthy eating maybe a big bowl of porridge first thing in the morning mm-hmm. and it's not like porridge is an issue but if they're having say 60 gram of oats with a with milk on top of that yeah. it's carbs on carbs there's no protein there's no fats so maybe it's about reducing that to say 30 gram of oats and then adding in say some protein and a little bit of fat so that's a more balanced breakfast and maybe adding some fiber from say berries or something a, lo- a low, lower carb fruit to low sugar fruit and um, so that would be just a smaller change it's not about a complete overall adjustment yeah. or change and uh, that, that would be one thing I do and like again what's quite common is that they would be skipping breakfast or not eating breakfast at all because uh, thinking they're doing the right thing and skipping meals and then ended up binging in the evening because they're absolutely starving and uh, their blood sugars are all over the place so um yeah that would be a few first thing i would do is really looking at the diet and changes to diet and then there's lifestyle lifestyle is huge what type of exercise they're doing I get them to start doing resistance training and um, to really help with that insulin sensitivity and then uh, supplements. And I know we'll probably talk about supplements in a different section, but supplements are really helpful as well uh, in that. I just want, I want to touch back again because every time you say something, I'm like, well, I'll ask you a question here. Yeah. Um, when you were talking about your, your dietary fat, is there a, like a recommended gram, would you say, or 10 grams of fat per meal? Or do you try to go keep fat on like a very minuscule scale? Do you like to keep fat on a bit of a higher? Because I know you're saying that you like to scale scale carbohydrates back. So would you almost try to nearly mirror match their calories from the fat intakes? I know fats can play a huge role in stabilizing blood sugar yeah. across the board. So what would your protocol on the dietary fat will be? Well, the way I, I kind of educate them really uh, on a kind of a plate level, like so not at overly common. A lot of them have come from maybe counting calories before and don't want to and I'm okay with that they want to they can absolutely but uh, so my approach is moderate to high protein moderate fat and then low to moderate carbs so when I say no carbs it's not like really really low like say under 50 grams but like if they're um not exercising a whole lot they don't have it they don't need as much carbohydrate really and uh you do need carbs to ovulate but um if there's an issue with your your cells and instance and and taking that sugar into the cells it's not being used up efficiently it's being stored then as fat so um it, that would be the way i would approach it so again i don't really go into it in terms of a numbers level i know like you know your your coaches may like probably like that because they might do that but for me i would kind of just use a by working with the client over a bit of time testing what's kind of working for them and really getting them to report back on say energy levels after eating um satiation uh cravings because they're they're things that are quite off if they have PCOS, they'll have lower energy levels, they'll have poorer sleep, they'll have um, more cravings. So feel fatigued after eating. That's a big one. Okay. They'll eat a meal and just be 
their their it's like their blood sugar that it's just they haven't absorbed the high blood sugar levels floating yeah. around and they drop off very quickly. So um, they're kind of uh, ways to assess a bit of progress initially before you'll see changes like um better periods or getting more periods they'll take more long-term work and take lot more lot longer to see and uh, but yeah with regard to that even using like a simple like your, your thumb as a, as a my as a guide right. in terms of a portion size and um, and you know your, your healthier fats as well obviously like switching to those my more anti-inflammatory ones as well would be really key yeah. i think a, a brilliant take home just from, from what you said there about the trying to produce more of a, a sensitive um, state for insulin was, you know, actually reducing, you know, if you're consistent, like pushing carbohydrates all the time, you're, you're kind of going way past the point of, of return where you're not going to get the inadequate response, but for so many people, and I think, you know, I only had this conversation with one of the coaches who works in my team last week. I think it's more of a, like a hereditary thing. Like we were brought up in environments where nutritional behaviors are very, very poor. Like when I think back to my childhood, what I was given for breakfast, lunch, dinner, it was, there's no nutrient quality at all. So even for them coming up through probably in, let's say, in the 20s, 30s, their last 20, 30 years of, of nutrition intake and nutritional awareness is so poor when you actually make that transition for them, it's such a small transition, but can have such a, such a positive impact. And like you said, kind of scaling back is going to improve that sensitivity. You know, scaling back on your carbohydrates is going to improve yeah. the body's ability to utilize them correctly, digest them correctly, produce what we're supposed to produce out of them. But that's a brilliant take home about the, about the, the fat intake and then about fiber as well, you know, yeah, fiber. some fiber is huge as well, right? Absolutely, really important. Yeah, good that you said that as well, because fiber, obviously, we all know fiber is really important for digestion. But again, it's a key role in like slowing down that blood sugar response. Uh, so it's really important for that. Helps to lower like cholesterol too, which is, you know, a marker high, can be higher in those with um, PCOS and is quite often seen. And um, so, no, fiber is good for satiety and more nutrients are in there as well. The foods that kind of are in fiber tend to have a bit more nutrients as well and other benefits as well. So, yeah no that's that's a really important nutritional consideration to make sure your fiber in, intake is good so like that's what kind of the balance kind of approach i would look at it is like make sure your your plate has um protein some fats and some fiber and like most um and if you if you're having that you're doing well and then with carbohydrates and um, make sure it's a fiber source of carbohydrates you know so that's um the, the approach i would use and you'd be um it's really surprised that like again don't be expecting to see regulate cycles within like one to two months it won't be like, as quick as that like th that issue those hormonal implicate and metabolic issues have been there a long time before these symptoms have even showed up so they're going to take a bit of time for you to actually re reverse them but you will see changes in um like things like energy and sleep and mood and cravings and hunger and things like that they will start to improve pretty quickly which is which is a good sign that you're making progress yeah so it's like a domino effect really isn't it once you see sleep and digestion improve nine times out of ten you're on a pretty good path so like things are going to move in a fantastic direction just touching back to what you when you're speaking about lifestyle considerations is there is there anything else that you recommend like anything around alcohol consumption like very poor quality meals out like if you're going to go for like a, a pizza on a friday night instead of recommending maybe go to a nicer restaurant get a steak dinner is there any like smaller kind of niche things like that that you recommend just to help the process even if it's one percent of a difference absolutely like i'd always encourage them like again with pcos they can feel that they're um i don't i see this a lot is that they're 
in this restricted cycle and they think they can't have anything. So I, I wouldn't encourage that because then that just gets us into this diet binge mentality. And then, so it's, it's very much about a bit of a balance, but like that 80, 20 approach that most of us probably do use really yeah. in some regard. But no, I think um, with regard to alcohol, um, probably like if they, if they reduce their alcohol intake it would be ideal but like we live in a world where like alcohol is part of our lives and that's okay if they drink they drink that's fine i wouldn't say don't but i maybe making some swaps you know like lower calorie ones things like that just if less sugary cocktails even things like beer and things like that would have more calories in them yeah. so uh, switching just to lower calorie ones and less sugar sugary ones uh, i do always try to say when they're going out for a meal to try and include a source of protein share yes. your fries or get a side salad or get some veg on the side just so like if you want the pizza okay go for the pizza but instead of getting the pizza and the chips and all the alcohol maybe you could share a pizza and then you could get maybe a nice side salad on the side try to get some protein in there maybe on the pizza or you could ask for a little bit of protein on your on your salad and um, so things like that it's not about again i really encourage people to be able to enjoy foods and that they're not in this restrictive mindset but to like kind of like you said be a bit more smart about it and um yeah like don't approach like a whole pizza fries all the alcohol and then everything else that goes yeah. alongside that that would be kind of the approach i'd use so a bit of a smarter swaps there that would be one lifestyle consideration um so i don't know if this would i consider this coming under the umbrella of lifestyle but stress stress yeah. is a huge oh, yeah. It's a huge one that would look at because again your other stress hormone cortisol has an impact it impacts your ability yeah. to ovulate and um, you know it's it's really it's involved in the the pcos conundrum and the syndrome yeah. as well so um a huge part of what i do in working with clients is ensuring that they're managing their stress and supporting them with stress management and um, so yeah. is there anything that you use to track their stress any tools that you use to track their stress so it's very individualistic to the the client again and really like there's again what works for them so what might work for someone else so obviously meditation is hugely spoken about and yeah. really a lot of benefits some absolutely cannot stand it and like sometimes yeah. you're kind of beating it like you're trying to make, make them do something that's just they're really hating and it's causing yeah. them more distress so again i found uh, adult coloring books i really yeah, yeah. Got, yeah i've started recommending that in the last year and they love them my clients love them it's really good it's just a you kind of feel like you're doing something that maybe feels proactive but then you start to get into a zone and you literally are in like you forget what you're doing and that's what it's all about it's getting into a state of flow and you forget what you're really doing your stress hormones start to come down you move into that more parasympathetic nervous state where we want to be in and that's a huge one and so in terms of I ask I get them to score their stress every week and try my clients and uh, see how they're doing obviously a lot of the time they have things that are outside their control that contribute to stress but in that case i'm really things to help their body cope with that like the likes of better sleep is really important not stressing their body out by drinking a lot staying up late watching tv not getting any daylight exposure and yeah. um, not eating their nutrients not eating vegetables protein things like that so yes they may have a really busy week at work and they may have deadlines or exams or whatever it is but I, I really encourage them to prioritize a few basic things to look after their 
their mental self-care routine so what sleep is kind of number one there if you're not sleeping your ability to cope with stress will be a lot lower you become less resilient to it so that's number one i do think daylight exposure is quite important so if you're stuck inside all day and not getting outside on screens which a lot of people tend to be and you know with lockdown and stuff they were inside all the time and working due to like the demands of their job but i really would encourage uh breaks outside and trying to get that light exposure and then uh, not skipping meals is, is another one I really encourage that as well so doesn't seem that complicated but at the same time if they're done oh. you don't have to cope with the ability to cope with stress yeah absolutely one of the, the first protocol for any client who comes into our business no matter if it's for no matter what the goal is we, we run what's called the priming phase and just fantastic to hear you speak about it just kind of gave me a little green light okay i'm, I'm doing something right here and um, first thing we we recommend for everyone is 60 minutes per day daylight exposure we recommend either meditation guided breathing or a kind of more inactive form whether it be reading a grounding session because like you said there and i think it's a fantastic point you know you can't recommend meditation and guided breathing to someone if they have massive deadlines in work and we're expecting them to sit in a relaxed, comfortable position and go through a guided breathing session. It's just, it's not, it's not applicable, but I love that reference of the, the coloring books because we are enforcing what meditation is, the, the power to ignore and the power to exactly. shut off external surroundings. Reading's a great one as well. Like you said, reading's a really good one. And a lot of people enjoy that too. Yeah. It's just really getting, getting their mind off, some, getting their mind off something, getting their mind onto something else. But just touching back to the, to the daylight exposure, because one of the, the main reasons why we recommend daylight exposure for a lot of our clients is regardless of um, PCOS, we try to massively improve insulin sensitivity because a lot of what we do is, of course, body composition focused. And if we can utilize our carbohydrates correctly, it's half of the battle. Um, but, you know, a lot of vitamin D can hugely have play an impact on insulin sensitivity and insulin um, response, right? Absolutely. Well, in studies are showing that in PCOS, um, a lot of nutrients are lower the status nutrient status is lower uh, and that includes vitamin d so that's involved in the immune system in lowering inflammation in your your ability your body's ability to utilize carbohydrates through insulin sensitivity so absolutely that's really really important so um yeah your ability then a great way to get that obviously is some some through food but really through daylight exposure and sunlight exposure as much as we can and you know even 20 minutes of when it is better weather of I do say this um, is 20 minutes of um, non-protected exposure before you put on your sunscreen and then um, because there has been some studies to show that that 20 minute period that you're okay and then you can put on your your screen your your sunscreen after that for obviously the um, to protect you against um, the UV rays and and cancer risks. but that would be what I would say to get that vitamin D um, absorption. As well as that, it helps to regulate your circadian rhythm and your, your sleep-wake cycle and lower stress hormones and raises melatonin at nighttime, which will help you sleep better. So it, it's supporting that, that, that cycle as well. It is thought to help with uh, upregulating mood through increasing serotonin in the morning. So ideally, if we can get it in the morning, it's great. Um, so all of these things have a knock-on effect too. And like, again, I, I suppose like when we're working on things in the body, 
like say PCOS a lot of people straight away just focus in on the ovaries it's not just that it is everything you know it's your digestion your nervous system your, your brain the whole lot comes into it so uh, we have to look after all of the the, the areas in the body and um, so that morning light exposure can have such a knock-on difference on things like mood energy which in turn will affect your hormones yeah well when when you're when you're looking at a, a client we're just touching on stress here i think it'd be important just to maybe have an aspect of obviously training is going to play a massive role in that right we know obviously training is, is huge um but training causes a, a huge amount of stress on the body as well is there anything you, you'd recommend from a resistance training standpoint that people shouldn't shouldn't do like i would you recommend training at a, a lower volume approach or do you factor that really into their coaching considerations as well yeah, so firstly, I would say I'm not um, PT or anything like that. So I'd be always suggesting they go work with someone who, who can okay, yeah, yeah. them on that. But my approach would be firstly, like it really depends on where they're coming from. Do you know, like a lot of the time, again, diet culture, whatever it is, it hit hit sessions and cardio and really fast and intense cardio is what people tend to do with PCOS and unfortunately that's not as effective on its own particularly as um, resistance training is resistance training is designed it helps our body become more sensitive to insulin as we create more muscle we lose less fat so our muscles are um, have more insulin receptors insulin um, and they're more sensitive so we start to basically mop up our carbohydrates we can afford to actually eat more which is great as well so like it's a win-win really you do exercise but you get to eat more you get to eat more carbohydrates too your body will start to use up that carbon as an energy source so it's great but what i would say is again depending on your starting point i would really encourage just um to focus on more slow steady um work it's not really about building a massive amount of sweat it's more about like really working the muscles quite well and, and then you're and then adding you do need to do cardio it's not to neglect cardio at all but your cardio doesn't have to be extremely intense it could be moderate cardio like say it could be playing tennis it could be uh do, going for walks a daily walk a light jog and uh, it doesn't have to be extremely intense and uh, you're you're better to focus on say three or four weight sessions for about 45 minutes maybe max really you don't have to be really really long either um, and just focusing on those big muscle groups as well like your back your glutes your legs things like that and um, that contain more um well obviously have more muscle there and to start to strengthen define them and make them bigger basically so you can utilize the carbohydrates better yeah no, it's brilliant because one thing that we we really try to enforce with, with, if we ever had a client too, let's say we had PCOS and <clears throat> we were coming to, towards symptoms of a cycle happening, the first thing we do is we decrease everything. Like we massively pull our foot off the gas from a training standpoint. And to be honest with, with most clients, who even when we suffer with any sort of premenstrual tension, we'll always massively take down training volume just to do our part in, in lowering down stress. But I like what you touched on there about the cardio cardio almost nearly fitting into their lifestyle factors as well like you said go for a walk with your friend go play yeah. tennis it doesn't have to be right jump on a stairmaster for 25 minutes it can be they can factor into so many other considerations just once they're active that's the most important yeah pretty much exactly like taking even the things like probably james smith always says like just like take the stairs that kind of stuff like the escalator or the lift things like that like just bringing in movement more into your day as much as you can because we do so much time sitting one hour in the gym is not going to make up for the amount of time we spend sitting we're sitting for work we're sitting to watch tv we're sitting to eat and then we go to the gym for an hour 
I'd rather see someone go gym for maybe twice a week for 30 minutes and do more movement during the day. Like just general day-to-day movement is far more important than a few sessions, I I think, in the gym. Obviously, this is dependent on someone's goal. Gym is really, really important. And like obviously you use different types of clients and things like that. But uh, when supporting with PCOS, you could be seeing someone who doesn't move at all. So it's really important to get them moving in the first place and then gradually working up towards that. Like, but I do think resistance training is a huge addition and a big, it can be, a, it's actually a big, um, what's the word I'm trying to say? It can be a big difference. And one of the main differences to start seeing progression. And, uh, you know, and I can, I can say that for myself, even, you know, resistance training, I would know the symptoms arising like, pretty soon after like, a few months after not doing a bit, a bit more resistance training. Okay. And so it, it, it is significant. It really does help. Brilliant. Okay. Yeah. Really, really interesting. Um, okay. Well, what I'd like to touch on next, we'll, Maybe we'll go into fat loss considerations because I don't want to talk about fertility and birth control, but I think the two of them kind of emerge into each other really well. So if we're looking at weight loss, so if we're dealing with a a client who wants to lose weight, which I can, you know, firsthand experience say that I have had clients in the past where it has been difficult, you know, it has been, it has been quite tricky to get them to move. And it doesn't matter if we run food, you know, lower run food, higher, it's, it's almost like the same response. It's either like a trickle effect or it's very difficult to move at all what would be i suppose what would be the cause of that like what what do you think is the main issue around weight loss and why it's so difficult for them to lose weight it's the insulin it's the issue with the insulin and the insulin resistance it's the it occurs in about 70 80 percent of women who have pcos so um it's there for most uh women who have pcos and so insulin resistance is going to make it more difficult to lose weight and and weight is a symptom of PCOS and again it's often said like lose weight and reduce your PCOS yes but it's more difficult to lose weight with PCOS so it's identifying why you cannot lose the weight so uh, insulin resistance will um will store more fat you're not utilizing your carbohydrates you've got less your, your niche is lower because your energy is quite low and uh, you feel more fatigued you're not sleeping very well you've got all these other things and then there's also the um I suppose like the the mental and psychological side of things as well you can have lower um mood self-esteem confidence and less drive and motivation all of these things can come into it too so there's lots of different reasons why uh, it is it is trickier but i have i can vouch that too it's definitely trickier with clients who've got pcos please but you see a trickling maybe a slight measurement reduction and uh, again going back to it the thing that i find makes the biggest difference is a really good resistance training plan really really helpful yeah. doesn't might necessarily see much changes on the scale body composition starts to change and looking at that hip to waist ratio is a good marker you know for progress uh, or waist to hip ratio sorry and um, you know try that's a good marker for progress and uh, the measurements around there and uh, you want to see that being become lower and lower and so that's obviously that's a kind of a, a sign that you're maybe more um abdominal obesity uh, in more insulin resistant than say somebody else and um, so that's a really good one to see coming down and um, but yeah th- 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 it makes it more difficult to, to lose weight when you've got the, the, the inability to utilize your carbohydrates very efficiently and uh, you've got higher levels of inflammation uh, which again even drives more insulin resistance and um, so all of these factors tie into it and um it does make it more tricky then to lose weight. And to tie into that as well, and there is about 25% of women who have got a, thyroid, a PCOS of a thyroid issue as well, an underactive thyroid. So that can also be a big factor in, in inability to lose weight as well. 
do, do you think there's a I, I I listened to a, a Lawyer McDonald podcast a while ago and he spoke about the elevating testosterone levels in females having an immediate correlation towards and um, more psychological stressors which might may be leading to binge eating disorders did you ever f- notice a correlation between the two with, with PCOS clients higher, that so higher testosterone testosterone leads to or there's a correlation between it and psychological yeah like it more I mean, me- mental stress that might be leading into binge eating disorders etc well yeah binge eating disorders uh, are d- very prevalent in women who have PCOS with PCOS high testosterone is a big marker of it yeah. it's one of the main symptoms so um you know most, a lot of my clients have come from a history of having been in a diet restrict cycle of binge eating right. behaviors are very very common in it again perhaps correlated i wouldn't say it does, it's uh, so directly associated because of just testosterone and uh, possibly but yeah. there's probably other factors in there i do still believe uh, or a huge you know from my research and from working with clients that um that blood sugar regulation is a big factor that like you know you have higher insulin levels and then you've got your up and up and down the cortisol uh, which are just having a wreaking havoc on like they're basically the top tier hormones if there's a hormonal issue go back to your insulin cortisol and then you look at the rest the thyroid then you look at the sex hormones um, and that includes testosterone but you've got to start regulating from the top down or so insulin cortisol and they're the ones that like and that will tie in with say like ghrelin and leptin like your hunger satiety hormones too so like if they're off then the rest of them are going to be off somehow like so that is going to trigger um for it it's going to trigger your more hungry your less satiety from food the types of food that you crave is more sugary your body knows what's going to give that instant bit of energy and but then straight away that's that's creating this uh, cycle again and ongoing and yeah it does lead then to if, if that's the type of food you're eating they're more um what's the word they get they create that um dopamine effect that you want more and more as well and so you, that it creates that relationship with that too and then there's like definitely you know the impacts of the gut brain connection like there is like dysbiosis is found like that altered microbiome is um, found in women with PCOS as well which of course that has an impact on like anxiety mood depression all of those things as well which in turn will affect your 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 association with your body your body image and all of that too so there's so many considerations so I wouldn't say it's just one thing alone the myriad of things you know that that it can come into that. That, that. I suppose when we're speaking about fat loss, when we've had someone from that binge restrict cycle, I, I firmly believe it's not it's, it's incurable, but it always lingers. You know, you're always going to have some sort of an element to come back around, which of course is going to impede fat loss. And um, absolutely, now that's really interesting, and I, I like that approach of what you said, like focus on the top and then work your way down through, and we'll focus yeah. on the first two, and everything else will, will come in to follow. Um, yeah. Okay, so I want to I want to touch on. Um, I suppose maybe birth control consideration yeah. first, I think is, is important because what yeah. I think what I've maybe seen myself was not mi- misdiagnosis, but would you maybe say some people have been misdiagnosed with, with, with birth control for polycystic ovaries, you know, maybe with a, a loss of a cycle. And the first thing we do is put them onto birth control to regulate the cycle again. Do you think that's the right approach to take? 
Okay, so a few things on the on birth control. Firstly, what it does, it stops your own hormone production. You yeah. no longer ovulate, and so for a woman who has PCOS, they have a they have already got difficulty ovulating, yeah. and then they're being given a pill that stops ovulation entirely, and then they're being told that this will regulate your period. And the issues I have with birth control are is is. I suppose the discrepancy or that it's not you're not being it's most sold the complete story about what it does to the body you know it's stopping you ovulating and it's giving you a, a withdrawal bleed you're not actually getting a real period and again women think that they have a real period and that's not the case so when you it treats it for as long as you're on it or it manages for as long as you're on it but that's not very effective really when you think about it if you start to come off it your your PCOS comes back again because you haven't identified the root issue is it insulin resistance or is it inflammation or is it maybe the adrenals and like all of those things can come into it you haven't got to the root of the issue so um in my eyes it's not very effective however I it's not I'm not anti-pill it's 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 a solution for a short period of time. It can help manage the symptoms if you've got very, very severe ones like really severe acne or, you know, your hair growth is really, really bad or, um, you know, you just, yeah, they, they'd be the main reason I can understand something going on. But if you've gotten a regular period and you've been put on it to regulate it, that's really frustrates me because you're not regulating a period. You stopped your own hormones. You're no longer making them anymore. And then when you come off it, you still have the same issues. The understanding I have and from reading, I like the reason why women are put on the pill and um, from a healthcare medical perspective is that in PCOS, the endometrium, the uterine lining is thicker. It's built up of more estrogen and other, um, other hormones that have built it up to be really, really thick. This increases the risk for uterine cancer. So the reason it's given is because it helps to shed that, that withdrawal bleed, yeah. shed that lining. And so you're, you're reducing that risk. So there, there is understandable reasons. So some of my clients who are working with me and um, get their, um, get that scanned quite regularly to monitor their the lining and they'll also be given something to induce the bleed if it's gotten very thick and um, but at the same time and the other way to reduce that is to actually ovulate start to make your own hormones and psych and have your regular period yourself so you know what can be done with the pill you can be on the pill if you want to if you if you are at risk for that if you've got a thick uterine lining but i would also say to look at the lifestyle and nutritional considerations and uh, look at what exercise you're doing look at your diet and look at your supplements because there's so much evidence research now to show how much these have an impact on pcos so yes if you want to be on the pill for a short for a bit of time and then you could start to come off that after you've maybe done three months of really good diet and exercise and supplement and uh, work and um, but that's my thoughts on the pill really around PCOS it's a solution to and short term but it does not treat it it doesn't treat you haven't identified the root issue you yeah. haven't sort of like insulin resistance which as I kind of discussed is the main reason why you've got all these issues with your um with your ovaries and hormones and if if you had a client who <clears throat> wanted you to use a form of birth control would you stay away from hormonal or would you maybe use more like a an IUD like a copper coil marina coil would that be your more of a go-to or are you happy to recommend um, if, hormonal? If, 
Yeah, well, it, it's I, I'm not someone to tell someone what to do. Like, I just give the the client the advice yeah. and the evidence and uh, the information, and I allow not allow them. I get them to then choose what suits them best. And yeah. um, if someone doesn't want to be on hormonal, um, but they want to be on a form of contraception and they're worried about getting pregnant, so the copper coil is the is yeah. the best one. Um, and then if someone is, you know, they can also use natural cycles um, or, you know, a, a form of um, another, other is other brands, but natural cycles is the one I kind of no. go to recommend. That's what I just um, say, just sorry, while that's in my head there, on natural cycles, they check body temperature for um, ovulation, right? So if if they have a consistent elevation and um, luteinizing hormone, would, would that mean that they're body temperature might change because LH has, has increased or how, how would they, how would they track their body temperature with them? With, with, with PCOS? Really good question, actually. So what happened is it's actually the spike in progesterone that you're looking for. So progesterone okay. is produced after you ovulate um, and only produced really in, in a higher level after you ovulate. So um, that is what gives rise to the, the rise in temperature. So m- progesterone is kind of like a pro-metabolic hormone. It raises your temperature. It boosts your thyroid hormone. Hence, you're more hungry during the later phase of your cycle. All of that comes into it. So um, it's not actually the LH that you're reading it's your um well you're reading the temperature yeah. but the reason that that spikes is due to the rise in, in progesterone okay. so if you yeah if you've got pcos and you're not ovulating and um, well then and you're and you're worried about getting pregnant so say someone is worried about getting pregnant yeah. uh, and they're they've got pcos and um, they're going to have less chances of getting pregnant and yeah. um, you know especially if they're not really treating things so they'll see less rises in, in that temperature so that would be in some ways less of a worry for them do you know what i mean but um in terms they obviously want to resolve that and that but um, natural cycles is really effective when done properly so it's 98 percent effective if you do it daily every morning on rising you take your temperature and and it, it basically it's a basal body thermometer so it's it's really from it's goes down to the 0.5 degree change you can notice that so normal temperature wouldn't be able to um, take that reading so and um, that's all it all progesterone does it doesn't rise it that much but it's 0.5 but it rises from just after you ovulate up until you get your period so that's another uh, natural way or non-hormonal way of tracking your cycle and using it as a form of contraception and just as a side note anyone's going to recommend this to clients that um for, they need at least to have at least two, three months of, of data in order for it to be used as a form of contraception because you're kind of looking backwards. Do you know what I mean? Right. It's, you yeah. start to, you're so that, last month's temperature and this month's Yeah, yeah exactly. So you're going like, okay, the first month I ovulate day 14, the second month I ovulated around day 14, third month, then you're kind of like going, okay, around basically between day 10 and 15, 16 on my yeah. cycle, I need to be really, really careful. So you're like looking backwards at your data. Um, so that's so just important. They look at follicular phase, body temperature being at its lowest points. And then yeah. once you maybe hit maybe day 16, 17, you start seeing that elevation in progesterone. That's when you see the, the body temperature rise. And yeah. then that, that you'd know, okay, I'm in 
week one luteal and um, week yeah. two luteal by the elevation yeah and would there be would there be much of a change in temperature from follicular to luteal really, so you're kind of around 30 36 ish really but it could be as i say 0.5 that's small like it, it's not much okay. but like you'd be um you'd be pretty much the same most more like say most mornings you do and then you'll move up to like a, just 0.5 to maybe 0.67 uh, of, a, of a change uh, during the, the luteal phase and um, but like you'll you'll notice it, it will it graphs it for you and that, that that's a considerable jump in terms of basal body yeah. temperature uh, you know on the scale you know it just might seem much to us but um it scales it for you and you'll see the difference then so uh that's basically your indicator and it's really interesting and cool it's, it's most the most accurate way of knowing if you've actually ovulated as well because again those um ovulated predictor kits they're not uh, accurate for someone with pcos because they yeah. uh, read your lh your luteinizing hormone and as i said before that's constantly elevated or most likely always elevated in pcos so that will you'll constantly be getting that you're you've got high lh or you've got um you've ovulated in those readings yeah way more popular now natural cycle um reading body temperatures and i saw a huge influx in in our clients we have in our clients we have um, like a weekly check-in sheet where They'll fill it out and will outline what phase of the cycle that you're on if we're utilizing any form of, of contraceptive. And I've noticed maybe the last six months, a huge shift in people moving over to that. I think maybe it's a lot more people now are be voicing their opinions on hormonal contraceptive. It's, I, think I think it's great. It's a brilliant. It's great. Yeah. Being tired of uh, the pill or birth control being used as a solution to every single hormonal, hormonal issue that's out there. Right. You've got PMS, you've got irregular periods, and um, you know any sort of hormonal issue. Oh, here's the pill. And I think people are just getting tired of that as being offered as a solution and realizing that there's other, there's something you know wrong there. There's a reason why that's there in the first place. So they're actually starting to investigate more into their health and maybe working with more people like you know say myself were you know like you, you were talking about earlier uh, Ashley and O'Kelly yeah. you know, like that like and um, who really look at the root cause and, and I'd want yeah. to identify that as, as an issue yeah well, it's brilliant for you guys because it's definitely the, the future in where it's moving to and for myself I've I've two young girls of a five-year-old and a 20-week-old baby at home two young girls but even for for them I think their generation is going to have a different look on birth control and hormone I is a, a coach Joe Jeffrey, and he he refers to hormone control. I think it's a brilliant way to to look at it. You know, they're going to have a different eye and a different viewpoint on it. Where people like yourself are are you you're going to be educating them on what's the quote unquote right practice to take, which I think is is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so when we're looking at nu- nutritional um considerations, so w- w- would there be some major um turning points from type of foods that you would recommend to individuals with with, with polycystic ovaries? So type of, I, I really, firstly, like I said earlier, like good source of protein are really important. So, um, again, it can be quite individualistic. I don't, you know, it does come down to that. Like some can tolerate dairy quite well, whereas others yeah. might be able to. Um, so if I don't like to say blanket ban on dairy at all, like I would include dairy as part of my okay. diet. A lot of my clients do, but it just, uh, it, it does depend. And you kind of want to maybe assess other symptoms like digestion or, um, flare-ups in skin or itchy skin, uh, ear infections, sinus infections, my 
migraines, they kind of get a lot of those kind of inflammatory type symptoms. You kind of be looking at maybe lowering, say, a lot of inflammatory foods and dairy can be one of those for a lot of a lot of people. Um, again, like I wouldn't have a blanket ban on gluten. Uh, again, it really, it would be kind of a last protocol if I'm not seeing any results at all. Uh, and, you know, there, so we look at maybe removing gluten for a, sh a short period and seeing if that starts to improve other symptoms, you know, um, because again, gluten can be quite inflammatory um, for some people, not everyone at all. And like, I've seen great results with people um, in terms of maybe not weight loss. It's definitely one of the harder ones to actually see a result in. It really is. But I've seen great results in terms of regulating cycles and getting more periods and uh, starting to balance out like, the hormones. And then in turn, it will take time. We can start to get to a place where your measurements start to come down and your body composition changes. Um, but I've seen changes without doing those big dramatic overhauls like gluten and dairy-free diets. Um, but that, that can be something that's so a real anti-inflammatory type of diet. Like, so, you know, it comes down to so basic and you know, you're probably like, but like fruit and vegetables, you know, really is really important. Just get making your plate up with those fruit and vegetables, leafy greens, dark greens, full of folate, your, your magnesium, um, what's the other ones uh, some b vitamins are in there as well and they're really really important and um, so then dark fruits and vegetables are really really helpful for that and um, then like kind of more starchy root vegetables i like to include and um, again they grow in the ground they contain a lot of micronutrients or absorbing nutrients from the soil so they're really really beneficial and um, so that kind of being nearly the main kind of carb source and um, i like so like you know your baby potatoes jacket potatoes sweet potatoes carrots turnips parsnips beetroots are great and um, those kind of things and, and then like they don't have to be right like say quarter of your plate or like you know 30 grams or something like that of, of those carbohydrates and uh, good sources of protein would be like fish your fatty fish your your white fish and um, you know good quality meat as best as you can again in ireland we're kind of lucky with that with our meat quality and uh, good quality eggs as well and um, and then of course including plant proteins and plant foods too is it's is important and yeah. um, so like a, a mixture in there like so your your beans and pulses nuts and seeds and things like that are really really good too so like mediterranean style diet is probably the one to veer towards it's a gold standard of the the best diet for kind yep. of pcos management and um, for lowering inflammation supporting insulin resistance see with um i know we're going to touch on um supplementation now but with pr protein powders do you recommend like whey protein because i know a lot of people do veer away from whey would you recommend a, a vegan brand or are you happy to recommend whey protein to to your clients Again, I, I kind of, I do think whey is great. It's highly absorbed and, you know, utilized really, really well. And um, especially if they are doing like, you know, resistance training, it's like really handy, like for getting a good hit of protein in and being absorbed quite efficiently. Um, whey isolate um, would probably be what I'd recommend. It's probably the lowest amount of sugar in it. Um, and again, like it's, it's um, quality is quite good. So there is... Um, I, oh, I'm going to go a blank on the brand. There's an Irish brand that I do like to recommend. Um, oh, Optimum Nutrition, Cytec. Optimum Nutrition is... ON. Yeah. ON is usually the gold standard. They usually yeah, go with. Yeah. I think that's it as well. But they're good. And I know that it comes... Kinetica Protein, sorry. Yeah. Uh, Grass-fed cows. So that is good. So we are looking now. We have got good quality animal products so grass-fed cow protein you know it's really good it's more expensive but it is good and um, obviously that's great if you're someone who does well with your dairy and you're not too bad and you've got as i said no signs really of a lot of inflammation 
and then there is vegan protein uh, but I always go for a blend not just one so not just pea or not just soy go for a blend of them all together and um, to get uh, all of your amino acids and um, in terms of brands I don't really have one really in favor for vegan and um, I think Femfuse do a range of um yeah. The my protein seems to be good. They have a vegan vegan, vegan blend as well. It seems to be pretty good. The the beef whey isolates seem to be okay as well. And yeah. um, so just just touching on the, the protein, would you basically assess their tolerance for? So like you were saying, if they had that dairy intolerance, they might see some flare-ups. Would you assess that first and say, okay, let's try an isolate, whey isolate? If there's no flare-ups, right, you have a green light to stay on that. If you see some flare-ups right then you'd make the decision to move them over yeah, i judge kind of on a symptom tracker first and they start working with me and kind of go like what are their current symptoms that they do have like you know uh, is there other signs of inflammation straight away i might go okay uh this could be obviously a highly processed inflammatory diet could contribute to that too but also it, it could be dairy as well so i'd monitor that from the get-go and um, so if, if that's the case i might get them to try an elimination for three weeks and reintroduce it and kind of track the symptoms yeah. after and see how they get on so kind of an elimination diet really for three weeks yeah. and then reintroducing and see how their symptoms are after that that's kind of the gold standard of like testing if you have an issue with them um, a food really and um, like these um tests the tolerance tests are not accurate really yeah. so it, it's best to do to do it that way um, and like there is good sources of um dairy proteins that are not from cows sheep and, and goat's milk is really really good so again people may not be so keen on trying it but actually there is different ways of getting sheep's cheese goat's cheese is really good and um, goat's milk sheep's milk and um, sheep's yogurt as well and uh, so it doesn't have to be completely vegan yeah products either if you do want to have some animal proteins or animal dairy products it just it's the different proteins that are in cows and and um cow's milk and say goat's milk so there's a1 casein is in the um cow's milk whereas a2 casein is more predominant in goats and sheep and this is um this produces less inflammation and so there's some people who cannot digest that a1 casein produce more inflammatory metabolites afterwards and that causes the reactions then and um, so I, i'd be monitoring it that way based on their their symptoms when they first come into me and then if they're if straight away like I, I would I would include dairy as part of their diet if they seem normal but then I'm starting maybe to notice some you know issues with digestion or issues other inflammatory issues I'd probably get them to even reducing it could be helpful as well just reducing yeah. the amount that they, they do because they could have copious amounts some of their cereal in the morning some in then a lot of day with tea coffee lashes cappuccinos then they have yogurts and cheese sandwiches and all this so maybe just like even reducing the actual amount that they're eating as well and maybe switching up to a better quality yeah interesting yeah i like the analysis of and just usually almost at the elimination diet approach it's it's really useful um okay supplementation recommendations then what would you what would be your your kind of go-to um supplementation recommendations yeah so um i, I suppose we didn't really touch on this before to get go down another rabbit hole but like there is um i suppose different 
types of PCOS and I don't like to put people in these boxes but yeah. depending on the type that they have but like like I said to you insulin resistance is there for most cases and even if like you know you don't have massive signs of it in terms of weight issues you probably have some degree of it, it just may not be as severe so if that's the case inositol is my number one supplement and it's kind of my number one supplement to give for PCOS in, in general really it helps to support and it works by tra helping transport sugar into the cells through the insulin receptors basically makes your cells more insulin sensitive it also supports ovarian function and through that mechanism but also actually supports the ovaries too and um, nice. as well so it's really really helpful and again another game changer if there's two big game changers and i don't like to say like you know that on a you know do these two things will fix everything yeah. but inositol and resistance training are two big game changers if they're done consistently along with everything else that would really help to proceed up your your progress and accelerate your progress so inositol vitamin d supplementation is another one and um, magnesium is, is another supplement magnesium glycinate is the one i like to recommend helps support the nervous system um, and helps with hormone production and um, makes more progesterone progesterone levels are lower okay. yes and uh, zinc is a good one to help lower your androgens and um, not necessarily for everyone needs it helps ovarian function too so that, that's how it helps to, to lower androgens and uh, so the and omega-3s helps to lower testosterone as well so um and, and um, improves your blood lipid levels as well in your profile so they're kind of the, the first few go-tos is what i'd really yeah. have uh, and then like there's more we can look into depending on your symptoms like you could look at maybe the likes of dim if you've got really yeah. really acne and um, you actually touch on dim because dim has been brought up brought up a lot i think i've noticed in the last while and i think there's a little bit of a misinformation about it so Will you just break down what DIM is and basically how it how it impacts on the body? Yeah, I think DIM is kind of like another one that's thrown out there as a solution to everything. It's going to just magic supplement that fixes yeah, it is. anything. Yeah, yeah, and you know, like it, it, it's good, but it basically is. Um, it's it's that it's a really long word, and I'm not even going to try to say because I never can. Um, but it's basically the byproduct. So when we eat, say, foods like cabbage, Brussels sprouts, yeah. broccoli, leafy green vegetables, yeah, yeah, those kind of things, cruciferous vegetables. Like we break uh, the the breakdown of that um, forms DIM basically, and um, it's thought to help support detoxification of and um, metabolization of estrogen. So yeah. like I said kind of earlier, higher levels of estrogen um, start to accumulate and then they, be, they get re-metabolized into the body and start to produce um, more potent forms like DHT. So if we're supporting the removal and metabolization, so it's kind of going through the phase one and phase two detoxification processes yeah. in the liver. When we're supporting that with DIM, it helps to uh, get rid of that excess estrogen, which, which could be causing those issues. It, it, it works so in the same pathways as like a lot of medicines and if you're on the pill can't really you can't take it um, and if you're on other medications you can't take it yeah. and like a lot of like um they recommend taking liver supportive as yeah. um, herbs when you're on it because it is quite strong so like yeah. milk thistle to have support a lot of people will still sell it with milk thistle won't they they'll sell like a combination yeah. of like ashling on her website it's dim and milk thistle yeah. together yeah 
absolutely so um again it's not really getting to the root cause though really yeah. like it's a supplement that's helping to fix it it's kind of like when you come off it maybe the symptoms are going to be there what you want to be doing is kind of supporting your liver anyway with good nutritious foods so like your cruciferous vegetables dark leafy greens dark yeah. colored fruits and vegetables like your beetroots things like that and uh, they're really really beneficial for the liver and um, and then like getting good quality nutrients like your vitamin a is really really important and that helps support the liver function so doing that and helping to remove excess estrogen through liver and gut support so we remove estrogen through our liver and we remove, then what happens then it, it, move, it gets metabolized and forms a different compound and uh, that moves to the gut and then the gut it should excrete that yeah. through the uh, our stool however if our if firstly if it's if it's not removed from the liver and um, then it's get re-metabolized in say the liver does de deconjugate it and um bring it to the gut if the gut's not healthy it just gets re-metabolized back in there as well so it's kind of like we really need the two of them to be working very very well so you're better off working on things that way i would say so supporting liver function uh, with bitter foods are great for that as well and then supporting gut health fiber uh, anti-inflammatory fats anti-inflammatory foods in general less processed less refined carbohydrates that's alcohol and um, sweets sugars cakes pastries all of that stuff that we know is harmful but it's also contributing to the likes of say acne and hair growth and yeah. symptoms like that because it's affecting your gut health and we're just having this stream of estrogen pumping in through the body causing a myriad of effects then even looking at things like the, the makeup and tan that you're using and yeah. um, those that are in our in our life as well so that, that can play a huge role on estrogen levels and um, even little things like um i, I read like scented moisturizers scented candles they can have like external issues yeah anything scented really has probably got a lot of toxins and, and um not toxins as such i don't know if that's a, the right word but they're estrogen mimic they mimic estrogen in the body and yeah. they're the endocrine disruptors they disrupt their own our own hormonal balance their own hormonal profile and then our body will start to um have more estrogen as a result of that and alcohol is also a big factor yeah. our body has to or the liver metabolize the alcohol if there's more alcohol in the bloodstream it's going to prioritize that because it's seen as a toxin the body wants to get rid of toxins so then you accumulate more estrogen because it's starting to deprioritize that over alcohol so we'll build up our um our more estrogen in the body that way so like signs of high estrogen levels are like um swollen breasts and um, heavy heavy periods and um, depression irritability particularly after ovulation even coming up up to ovulation which is supposed to be kind of the time where you feel good if yeah. you have high estrogen levels you can actually feel really rubbish you can feel okay. very tired you can have slow digestion you can start to slow your digestion down and um, you can be just not in the best of mood your appetite may not be the same things like that can change L libido function be down as well yeah, it, yeah, because you're um, although estrogen and testosterone give rise that natural rise, it's yeah. you, you form different types. This estrogen is forming other metabolites of itself, and so okay. if they're more potent, they don't have the same benefits as okay. your normal estradiol would have. Okay, so dim is not the magic supplement we all think it it's is, basically. No, it's not the magic supplement. Again, if someone has acne and doesn't want to be in her um, and yeah. wants to support, it, it can be effective maybe for two, three months. I wouldn't go on it for any longer than that. I'd really be supporting the, the gut and liver and yeah. other parts of the body um, during that time as well. Um, Ch Chaseberry, have you used Chaseberry before as a supplement? Yeah. Would you recommend? So 
I do recommend it, but in PCOS, as I said before, LH is elevated. And Chaseberry actually works by elevating. It works by increasing your LH. So uh, it can do that for a lot of women. So you can be worsening your PCOS. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's great for hypothalamic amenorrhea because that yeah. LH is low. So it can really help to, to yeah. stimulate that and boost that production. But in PCOS, it wouldn't be my first line of treatment. Now, it does have to increase progesterone. Yeah. It also increases LH, so it may not be the the best one. So that's why blood testing is really really important. So say maybe your your ratio isn't too bad, you may be okay to have some uh, chase variant to take it maybe in that kind of time frame, like twenty five days, five days off, or trying to mimic a natural cycle. Oh, that's what you would you would run your chase berry for the entire. So I. I can't remember where I read it online. I think it was right. If you only take it for your luteal phase, so you take it from day okay. four to day twenty-eight. Would that be correct? Could be correct. As well. uh, it helps with the progesterone production. Progesterone more focus. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, and just as you were touching on blood test, there would would there be would there be certain marker ranges that you would look for in in a blood test, or I suppose maybe if we were sending a client for a blood test, what would we be asking for? So now most blood tests, like a standard blood test, they're not going to test hormone levels as well like what would be the primary hormones that we would need to be testing if we're going to get blood sun yeah so uh there's a really good question so like i would really like have a list of bloods on, on my on my page that i get people to look at but like lhfsh firstly and like most people fall into the range is okay it's not the range yeah. you're looking for it's the the ratio of those is really important okay and your estrogen and progesterone your testosterone and uh, your thyroid hormone really really important because you want to rule that out you know because you can have issues with your cycle to do it which is, is to do with your thyroid it may not be pcos uh, or you could have both you know pcos and thyroid issues and um, so you want to look at that you want to look at your you do want to get your fasting blood sugars levels um, and your your glucose your hba1c to show if you are showing up for that and um, folate b12 iron ferritin and um oh, prolactin uh, shbg is your sex hormone binding globulin and cholesterol as well is an important one to to look at too because that may be elevated uh, if you've got PCOS so there like that will give you a good a good picture of what's going on if you've got all of those measures and uh, really important though to get the thyroid looked at it and say and um, especially like if there's fertility issues as well and you're looking at your fertility and uh, you want to be getting your thyroid with your TSH ideally you want that to be, be between one and two that's kind of the the optimal fertility range okay yeah. brilliant okay that's all the all the questions I have anything else you want to touch on before we wrap up because I think we covered absolutely everything and more and um, which was absolutely brilliant good no i think i think that's pretty much everything i guess um yeah like i so it's if you for your, everyone listening who works with peace west clients and um, it's really trying to work with your client on an individual level like i'm really kind of recognizing their unique symptoms and their unique set of circumstances yeah. as well and looking into their lifestyle their stress their sleep don't forget that really really important and mm-hmm. um, and yeah supporting their the most nutrient dense diet that you can and even in that time frame of every three to four hours and that can be just so 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 helpful because like you kind of said there at one point like most people are coming from a place of pretty poor nutrition status anyway you know so those changes can make such a big difference you know when they're done more consistently and just more conscious and more aware of the choices that they're making yeah okay 
I'll just, yeah. just one, one last question before mm-hmm. we wrap up. Um, just as you touched on it there, I thought it was a good thing to ask. When you were talking about, you know, bringing clients in who've had poor nutritional backgrounds and we then influx this new approach, do you have like a certain expectation rate that you'll ask of them? Like, look, if you give me 65%, because obviously it's a massive change for a lot of people, or are you like fairly set in stone and say, look, we have to get this kind of at 100% straight out the gate? Um. I guess like I don't have like um I wouldn't say I put it like an expectation rate but I do like them to kind of like at the 80 20 approach and I like them to yeah. get on that pretty much straight away 80 percent yeah yeah I do like I like them to do that and like um but I meet them where they're at do you know what I mean like if there's someone yeah. who has done say absolutely no exercise or if they're a busy mom or and yeah. um, they're really really stressed in their job like I'm not going to start kind of getting them to do loads of meal prep and yeah. it's really about like where are the big areas of like if their breakfast is one that just never seems to be like you know everyone just eats like a high carb breakfast so <laughs> straight away starting off your day like you know in the, yeah. the way they shouldn't so and uh, this goes for mo- even if you don't have pcos we should be oh, into yeah. protein and fats anyway so um you know the different the pcos diet if you want to say that is massively different to what we all should be doing anyway we all should be leaning towards the mediterranean style diet really it is the kind of the gold standards uh it's one that's shown to um reduce most disease risks and death from most diseases so um it definitely is the one we should be veering and leaning towards so yeah like i i I meet them where they're at really so everyone is going to be different and it's important to be aware of that i think yeah okay absolutely amazing uh just as a little wrap up do you want to tell everyone where they can find you where they can more learn more about your service like i said we always refer out so if there was anybody who is listening that wants to seek a little bit more help where could they find you where can they inquire about being uh, helped by yourself yeah so um mj nutrition is where you'll find me on instagram and uh, also got my website mjnutrition.ie and then the podcast the female health podcast as well if they want, even want to just listen to episodes and um yeah so you can just either drop me a message on instagram or send me and um, you can book in a call with me um on my website as well um or just email me you'll find my email on on my website but it's maryjo.mjnutrition.ie so it's uh, amazing well thank you very much for your time i really appreciated that yeah thank you i really enjoyed it and hope it helps (laughs) right